Hello and welcome to episode number 459 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's show, the Dreamliner develops some more issues. Free on board Wi-Fi, is this a good thing or a bad move? And who fancies buying their own private party jet? Yes, you heard me right. In the military news this week, the US Air Force is looking for ways to navigate without GPS and the elusive E-6 command and control aircraft is getting an upgrade. And uh, joining me this week, well, Armando unfortunately can't make it this week. He's slowly making his way back home to Charlotte from the Reno Air Race Pylon Racing School and won't be with us, but hopefully he'll be back with us very soon. But joining me over in the PTUK Master Suite Studios at a balmy 25 degrees Celsius, it's Matt Smith. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Yes, it is quite warm in here today. Honestly, we get one day where the sun comes out and it's it's roasting in here. Rustin. Did, did I hear correctly on our on our local radio station this morning, Mr. Oh, Smith, that no. we're going to have a, a rather warm weekend this week. That is correct, yes, absolutely, which is ideal for me because I'm going to be stuck in stuck in a procession going to the middle of this on uh, on um, uh, Sunday. So, yes, I'm very glad that it's not going to rain, although there are threats of thunderstorms. Yeah, there I are did. threats of thunderstorms, so uh, hopefully they can stay away until like, after we've done the procession because we're all going to be in this park, so I uh, <coughs> don't really want to get wet if we can at all help it. But, yes... Indeed, yes, a, a good good weather-wise for the whole of the weekend, for most of the UK, actually, by the look of it. Yeah, it's a balmy 18 degrees Celsius yeah. outside, which is quite nice. I should just yeah. say this is being recorded on the 9th, uh, Friday the 9th of June, <laughs> by the way, in case you are listening to If you're to listening this, to this in a week's think, time and you're under a foot of water. Yeah, absolutely. Thinking, Sorry. Hmm, bit moist out, yes, absolutely. So, joining us across in the... Glorious sunny Buckinghamshire countryside. It is, of course, the man who loves his cabling, loves his tech. It's Neville Bounds. Yes, and uh, behind me is some tech I'm taking to work next week. So sorry about all the, all the mess uh, behind me. But um, yeah, it's been another great week. Bit of flying at the start of this week to uh, Stockholm and various other Swedish cities and came back on Wednesday. Um, Spoiled slightly by my neighbour in One Charlie, though. Um, how can I describe him? Um, obstinate businessman type, I would say. Um, so he sits down next to me, and of course we've got the table in between where I sit and where he sits in One Charlie. And he's got a obviously big um, iPad Pro, plonks it down, takes up the whole of the table more or less, wasn't too worried, worried about that. <clears throat> Had me breakfast, and then I'm thinking, oh, I've just seen the first officer pop out to the galley. I might just go and say hello, you know, giving me PTUK card, the usual thing that yeah. one might do on a flight. As you do. <laughs> and, he's, so. and without a word of a lie, this chap <clears throat> in one Charlie goes, well, there's already somebody in the toilet. Just like what? that. What? So I said, well, just as a matter of interest, I'm... Um, going to see the first officer, who I've just noticed over there, going to have a quick chat with him, and I may or may not use the toilet afterwards. Um, <laughs> like and, it's any uh, of his business, obviously. <laughs> I think what, where he was coming from was that he'd, he'd seen that someone had gone into the loo and it was locked and it was engaged, and he thought I was going to uh, jump in front of him. Because well, he wanted to go. As it happened, I did do that. But uh, Excellent. <laughs> what, what, a, what an odd starting point for some people. Just Indeed. A really, 
Indeed. Mm. Indeed. I was going to say a bad word, but snotty, I think, would be Snotty a is a good word, yes, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, you, you've obviously been doing a bit of flying, of course, this week, Nev, hence, hence that story there. Someone else has been doing some, hol- some uh, ho- uh, flying as well as part of their holiday, of course, and the lovely Oscar, who is in the chat room, a very good evening to Oscar. Uh, now, uh, his mum's just sent me this picture here, which is really, really quite lovely. Uh, you are going to be so, so proud of Oscar here, Carlos, brace yourself. Here we go. Look, look at that. Oh, that's what oh. I like to see. Look at that. I yes. love that expression. That that is a one. That's a wonderful expression on his face. Uh, he looks as confused as I would if I was sat in the cockpit. To be fair, I, I must admit, <laughs> Matt. When I when I saw this picture um, yeah. earlier on in the week, when he when that was on the social medias, now I did think to myself, he looks very good in that position. <laughs> I think the left seat, the mm. left seat, is where Oscar should be. Are you trying? Obviously, try- obviously I- start in the right seat first. Right, you can't go straight in the left seat. No, 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 no. <laughs> but- no. But, but uh, I think yeah. we need to get him out of a 7.3 and on to an A320. Oh, here we go, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it sounds um, like... But a 7.3 like is not a bad starting point, I have to say. So, no. Uh, good for you, Oscar. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, well done, Oscar. Yeah, let us know where you were going to, by the way, because that's the only thing. Do, do you know, Carlos? I don't know. Where they're, where they're coming from? Where, the, where they went to, yeah. Oh, I think it was, I think it was Mallorca. Oh, was it? Nice. Yeah, I think it was Mallorca, yeah. Nice, lovely, excellent. But uh, actually, Oscar, when I see you next, I have got... As promised, your guide vane from a jet engine here. Oh, hello. Which you can see Oscar on the screen there. Okay. When I see you next, I shall be giving you this wonderful piece of titanium. Oh, dear. There we go. It's it's, uh, poor poor mum mum and dad I'm worried about who've got to try and find all this money for these ideas you're giving him, honestly. Oh, I know. (laughs) Well, I I keep keep trying to persuade his mum to buy some more pieces of airplane. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do our our service here on PTK. (laughs) Right, Let's uh, Let's have a look and see who's joined us in the chat room this evening. Let's go top of the list. Richard Adams. Hello to you, Richard Adams. Uh, He's... uh, Already on the beer, hopefully. Hobby Time, hello to you. Mazus, our local listener, Mazus, good to see you in there. Oscar is obviously in there. He's uh, settled in for the evening. Uh, we have got uh, Nick Codling. Hello, Nick. <laughs> He's literally in the Zoom call with us now. Uh, we have got, scrolling down, Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. Good to see you in the chat room as well. Uh, let me scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Uh, Ma- Masha, hello to you, Masha. Hope you're enjoying the um, the nice weather we're having here uh, in the UK as well. Uh, Bill, hello to Bill. Good you know, Masha you. doesn't live in the Bill. UK, right? Well, in uh, Europe, you know. What I mean. <laughs> Captain Ridiculous Wits, always good to see Captain Ridiculous Wits in the chat room as well. Dirk S, barely made it apparently. He's in oh. there though. Don't panic. Well done. Um, Good to see you in the chat room as well. Puebla Champ, hello from Mexico. He's joining us from nice. Mexico this evening. Hello to you, Puebla. Good What's to see you. What's the time in Mexico right now? I don't know, mate. It must be probably um, six, six hours behind us, I, I would have thought. Uh, okay. All right. Not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. Uh, John Jester, he is also in the chat room as well. One of our. Uh, members of the PTUK family as well. Good to see you in that, and everyone who's joined us tonight. Don't forget, if you're listening to uh, our glorious voices on an audio podcast, uh, don't forget to check us out on YouTube to find out just how stunningly gorgeous we all look in the flesh. <laughs> uh, you can find us on there. Just search for Plain Talking UK. Don't forget to hit that subscribe and bell icon as well, which is right next door, to be notified when Matt is pressing 
the go live button with a new episode it's as easy as that now we've got tons to get through on the show tonight literally tons of stuff uh, what with segments to play out we've also got our book competition the winner of the book this week we've we've got to announce because we had loads of entrance into that and our caption this has also been very popular this week as well so commercial news time everyone if the team is ready oh yes let's go the captain has turned on the seatbelt light please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts So this week's first story comes to us from edition.cnn.com. And Air Passengers, Air India passengers who were stranded in Russia land back in San Francisco. Now, an Air India flight this week uh, sent there to the Russian remote Russian city of Madagan to pick up stranded passengers has landed back safely in San Francisco, the airline said yesterday. Uh, they said all the passengers are being extended uh, to a maximum on-ground assistance with the clearance formalities and provided other necessary support, Air India wrote on Twitter. Earlier in the week, Air India flight AI-173 from New Delhi to San Francisco had been diverted due to a technical issue with one of the aircraft's engines. It landed in Russia's Magadan airport in the country's Far East, carrying 216 passengers and 16 crew. In a statement Wednesday, Air India said a ferry flight took off from Mumbai to take passengers back to San Francisco uh, were subject to necessary clearances. There are no Air India staff in the remote town of Madagan. Instead, the airline said support was provided to the passengers through around-the-clock liaison with the Consulate General of India in Vladivostok, a city around 5,000 kilometres south of Magadan, as well as India's Ministry of External Affairs, local ground handlers and Russian authorities. Russia has banned numerous Western countries from operating in its airspace, through, uh, though some carriers like Air India continue to fly over Russia. The United States said earlier this week that it was monitoring the situation, and they said we were aware of a US-bound flight that had to make an emergency landing in Russia, and they were continuing to monitor the situation closely. Uh, Patel would not say if the US would need to exempt any replacement parts for the plane from its sanctions on Russia, and the diversion came amid a debate about the use of Russian airspace by some carriers. Air India's CEO defended the use of the Russian airspace on Monday, telling an airline summit that we operate in accordance with the ambit of what is provided to us by the nation, uh, nation of India, he added. And meanwhile, the United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby on Monday predicted the possible dangers of a aircraft being forced to land in Russia with American citizens on board while speaking to reporters. I suppose it's one of those things that, guys, you know, with the with what's going on in in Russia, um, obviously we know from news reports that the Russian airline Aeroflot is struggling for replacement parts for its Airbus and Boeing fleet because, well, they're just not able to purchase any new parts or second-hand parts so i think if you're an aircraft that has to divert in an emergency obviously which is what this one was if you've got to put down somewhere you've 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 got to put down somewhere and if it happens to be russia then um you know 
that's that's life. I, think. I mean, I, I assume, obviously, with what's going on, um, that uh, it, it, you know scenarios like this haven't changed. If you see what I mean, so if there is a, um, you know, if 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 you do have a, an air emergency, you can still sort of like touch down in in you know wherever is safest to do so, even if that is a a country that's heavily under embargo. Nev. Hmm. Well, I think I was watching a documentary, um, I forget what it was, a few weeks ago about the way they were discussing how different airlines or how airlines in general have to deal with different countries and overflying rights and permissions. And of course, all we do is buy a ticket and get on the aircraft. But the, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes in some cases is massively complicated with countries that are barely speaking to each other um, and obviously this is you know one of those uh, one of those situations isn't it um, but uh, yeah I think there's um, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes there to, to ensure you know that the people could divert if they had to but uh, yeah the protocol involved with that I'm sure is very complicated indeed um, indeed indeed mm. hmm Matt, you've got the next story. Yep. Obviously, Ryanair, and uh, they've they've done some exciting things this week, haven't they? Uh, well, I, I did, under duress, I think is probably the way to describe that. So, uh, uh, it's theindependent.co.uk where I go for all of my aviation-related news. Obviously, the Ryanair, the Ryanair, cancels 400 flights in Europe due to French air traffic control strikes. Oh, goody! Uh, Ryanair has been forced to cancel 400 flights. As a result of strikes by French air traffic controllers, the airline's boss has said, as he urged the European Union to take action, the mass cancellations across Europe on Tuesday, representing one in eight scheduled flights uh, by the continent's largest airline, are merely the latest to be grounded by industrial action with walkouts at airports blamed by Ryanair for more than 4,000 cancellations so far this year. As thousands of would-be passengers saw their travel plans cast into disarray on Tuesday. Livid holiday goers described finding themselves stranded in airports and forced to find last minute accommodation as they expressed their dismay on social media. For a few, In a furious message, Ryanair's chief executive Michael O'Leary criticised the utterly indefensible move to cancel overflights passing through French airspace as he accused authorities there of prioritising domestic flights. Uh, air traffic controllers joined other unions as hundreds of thousands of protesters took to the streets across France on Tuesday in protest at President Emmanuel Macron's raising the retirement age by two years to 64. 64? We dream of such a low retirement age as some demonstrators <laughs> stormed the headquarters of the Paris 2024 Olympic Games. While France's Civil Aviation Authority asked airlines to cancel a third of the flights out of Paris Orly, the capital's number two airport Port, the air traffic control strikes forced hundreds of overflight cancellations as the staff required uh, to guide planes through French airspace also walked out. Ryanair has been pushing for European Commission to force France to protect overflights during such strikes, having last week submitted a petition, Mr O'Leary said, uh, was signed by over 1.1 million of our very fed up customers. In a video message posted to Twitter, the airline boss said again today we have had to cancel just about 400 flights out of the 3,200 flights we'd scheduled to operate. All of these flights have been cancelled because of French ATC strikes. The vast majority of these are over 
other flights and not going into France. Uh, I, I won't go into more details there, but uh, it's... Um, now, for, forgive my naivety here, but this unfortunately does happen quite a lot, doesn't it? Um, strikes, yeah. The, the strikes in French air traffic control. Now, uh, if if it was, let's let's say BA, because hopefully Nev might be able to answer this question if I say BA, but you don't have to use French airspace in order to get somewhere, do you? It depends where you're going. I mean, if you want the shortest route and mm. you're going south, you probably do. Yes, but if you but if you're going to take some passengers somewhere, for example, mm. so let's let's use BA as a model. I would yes. I would. Am I naive in assuming that if it was BA, for example, they would take that longer route because they'd rather do that than inconvenience their passengers? Oh yeah, I mean yes, that obviously adds to flight time and and fuel costs and the potential for delays and holding. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Um, but France is quite a big country, so right. it's quite a big detour uh, very often. Uh, okay. If you're going to Italy uh, or somewhere like that, uh, or further down into the Med, that, that's quite a big. Uh, Fair. Okay. Really, that's all right. It? But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but no, that. But as Masha said, it's probably easier to work out when they're not on strike as to when. Well, they're quite on. yes. This is this is the thing. It, it is. It, it's a regular thing, isn't it? Let's be yeah. honest here. That that's more the reason why I'm why I'm asking that question because you know you, you think, because it does happen so frequently, um, and of course you can't just cancel all the flights. Like you know, they, they, it's just like I just wondered if it was because essentially Ryanair weren't willing to do an extended. Now, I think where diversion. things go badly wrong, of course, is where the flight is originally originating from france or maybe you've got a connection say you're oh yeah you're going to go from manchester to paris for a flight to i don't know new york and you decided that's how you were going to do it uh that has messed up the second sector of your yeah flights considerably hasn't it so uh, uh it's those sort of situations which are difficult or, or as i say flights that are actually beginning from uh, the capital or, or further down the country so uh yeah mm. it's uh, this is not going to be solved quickly uh, it's been going on for decades, and I don't think it's going to be solved in a hurry. Because mind, mind you, at the moment we're not we're not really in much of a strong position to talk about to sort of complain, really. I suppose because uh, well, there are things going on. There, there, there's lots of striking going on here as well. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it's a it's a it's a funny old time at the moment, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So. Uh, next story, Nev, uh, moving on. And um, I, I just think every week now, this, this is just becoming a regular occurrence here with the Dreamliner. Yes, I thought we were going to go into a, K40, a KC46 story for a minute, but uh, <clears throat> this is on simpleflying.com. Uh, it says that uh, Boeing has discovered new issue that affects near-term 787 deliveries. Well, nearly 100 787s set to be delivered by Boeing could be delayed due to a newly discovered production concern. The plane manufacturer confirmed the issue on Tuesday, saying that the affected planes will be fixed before delivery. The production flaw does not result in any safety issues of Dreamliners currently in service, but adds to the number of challenges Boeing has faced with the wide-body jet. Uh, similar to the other concerns, the FAA have been made aware of the issue. In a statement to Simple Flying, Boeing noted that the issue is related to the aircraft's stabiliser. We're inspecting 787s in our, in our inventory for a non-conforming condition related to a fitting of the horizontal stabiliser. Airplanes found to have this non-conforming non condition will be reworked prior to ticket and delivery. 
Uh, the effective component in production is not produced by Boeing, but by a third-party supplier. But the company said that the attachment fitting is installed on the Dreamliner's horizontal stabiliser at a Boeing facility in Salt Lake City in Utah. Uh, the horizontal stabiliser, essential to the appropriate balance of the aircraft's aerodynamics, is located in the rear of the plane, just under the tail. Uh, according to Reuters, Boeing discovered that the attachment fitting uh, had shimming that was not appropriately sized, which did not meet the required specifications. Shimming is a, is a material that fills gaps between surfaces on aircraft, and these aircraft were set to be delivered, but were suspected of the issue. Uh, they were reportedly to be stopped on Friday of last week. Uh, correspondingly, 90 Dreamliners currently in Boeing's inventory will undergo an inspection before being delivered and the manufacturer expects that repairing the faulty stabilisers will take up to a couple of weeks for each affected aircraft, which would impact deliveries scheduled within the month. Boeing's technical team is working to understand the full work statement to rework inventory airplanes prior to delivery, says Jim Prohl. Uh, senior media relations advisor of Boeing Commercial Airplanes. It is early and we are still finalising the rework plan, but we'd expect to be able to complete the rework within a couple of weeks uh, per airplane. Uh, with the current timeline of repairs, uh, the company does not anticipate that deliveries in the long term will be impacted, but whilst the inspections and required rework will affect the timing of near-term 787 deliveries at this time, uh, we do not expect that this issue will change our full-year guidance regarding, regarding 787 deliveries, uh, Prohl explained. Uh, current aircraft in service worldwide can still operate, as Boeing shared that the issue does not pose any immediate concerns to flight safety. The company also contacted the FAA and airlines with the aircraft in operation to inform them of the problem, saying it will keep them informed of any progress. It's unclear what caused the production flaw, how many of the 90 jets in inventory will need to be repaired, or if any in-service aircraft need to be fixed. It comes as Boeing just increased 787 productions to four planes a month from three last week, according to Reuters. Uh, this issue is the latest challenge involving the 787. In March, uh, the FAA cleared Boeing to resume deliveries after halting them in February due to an issue relating to the fuselage. Then in April, the agency ordered aircraft inspections after discovering leaky faucets in the lavatories. Um, well, best to find out now, before it's delivered and before it starts flying for real, than uh, having to do a recall or have an in-flight safety moment, I would have thought. Um, I, I mean, this does happen quite a lot with relatively new aircraft. I seem to remember that the 747 back in the day went through a, a lot of changes, you know, during the early parts of production um, and airworthiness directives and, and various things like that. Um, but ever since, you know, the 787 battery issue, I suppose, back at Heathrow and, and other places as well, um, the, the spotlight's always on this aircraft, isn't it? So, a bit like the, uh, the MAX, but for different reasons. I was just looking there to see when um, that the Dreamliner first flew. It was December 2009. Was it really? Good yeah, the Dreamliner first flew. So, yeah. Wow. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it, whether, obviously, because the 777X is now the next big thing um, for airlines mm. and cargo as well, whether they're going to have issues with that. But bear in mind the 777X is obviously they're, they're coming off the back of the very popular 777, which is already a well-proven and well-established airliner, whereas the Dreamliner was a, a completely new clean sheet, wasn't it, Nev, when it was first conceived? Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, John Falk makes a very good point, I think. It says, given the complexity of aircraft manufacture, it's amazing we get any rolling off the uh, production line, isn't it? Also, that is says, true. Especially with uh, the new composite materials uh, that are being yeah. used on those aircraft. So, um, yeah, it's a massive... I think we still need to... Remember, it's a massively complicated thing with high levels of certification. And frankly speaking, even though there's, you know, a, occasional incidents and sometimes accidents, the the safety rate uh, with new aircraft uh, delivered today is extremely high. So it is good that they're, they're catching these things bef before they take to the skies, obviously. Very true. So moving on to next story. And... Um... Nev, would you say airfares have increased in price much in the last year or so? Yes, I think it all depends on what, um, who you're booking with and all the rest of it. But yes, I, I would say in the last 12 months, no doubt about it, yeah. Yeah, this comes from theguardian.com. And international airfares likely to keep rising, says Aviation Group. So international airfares likely uh, to keep climbing from their current highs over the next 10 to 15 years with the cost of sustainable fuels expected to drive up ticket prices, according to the global airlines body, IATA. Uh, extraordinary demand for travel since COVID pandemic has led to steep fare rises on many routes, and IATA said consumers could expect to pay more as airlines increase the usage of scarcer, greener jet fuels in response to the government's mandates to cut aviation carbon emissions. Willie Walsh, the Director of General of IATA, the former Chief Executive of British Airways, said we are going to require more and more SAF, or Sustainable Aviation Fuel, uh, which means more and more expense. Uh, while Willie Walsh said that uh, some economists believe sustainable fuels could eventually become cheaper than kerosene, he added that in the certainty, I see certainty, he says in the next 10 to 15 years, we are looking at significant increase in fuel costs unless there is some compensating reduction in other costs. And I don't see that happening, he says. Uh, then people have to expect that there will be an increase in the average fares as we go forward in time. He added it will mean higher fares because sustainable aviation fuel is more expensive than your traditional jet kerosene. And as we transition to net zero, it's going to be costing some money. Airline costs have been driven up significantly as oil prices soared after Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, as well as the high labour costs. And Walsh also pointed to constrained ca uh, capacity uh, due to to the lack of spare parts which have left some airlines unable to operate at their full fleets. Uh, despite the much higher fare prices uh, having to pay on many routes as some IATA said its analysts showed fares worldwide were still around 2019 levels in real terms and the start of 2023 having lagged behind inflation over the course of the pandemic. Last year Matt's favourite Ryanair said the era of <laughs> ultra cheap flying was over the coming impact of SAFs was suggested in a recent update of the UK Sustainability Aviation Roadmap to Net Zero by 2050, which relies largely on offsetting and SAFs and replacing fleets with more fuel-efficient aircraft to slash net emissions. It projected that fewer people would fly in coming decades as a result of the prices being out 
and a demand reduction impact that would account for around 14% of the required cuts to hit the target. However, airlines are reporting a rise in custom despite higher prices. And the president of Emirates Airlines, Sir Tim Clark, said the eye-opening demand for air travel, even in premium cabins at high fares, defied economic wisdom. He added that over the winter last year, for every seat we sold, another five people wanted it. We could have put it out to auction if we wanted to, he said. I'd like to have seen that. Uh, people who used to fly the old fare levels are piling in at the new fare levels, and it just doesn't seem to make the sense the way we used to understand it, he said. All I know is that we are moving, so we'll take it. Clark, whose airline was notably opponent of the or notable opponent of the capacity cuts imposed at London Heathrow last summer, warned the British government it needed to do more to support international aviation. Clark said the UK needs all the help it can get uh, and if it's going to work with Brexit and you've seen uh, he said yeah boo Europe it's not where we need to be it's uh, but we need to be in China India Australia America and you've got to move people and goods to those places so airline capacity is vital if that's lost on the government of the UK they will pay the price he said well I have to say having looked at the the uh, bums on seats and say on both the flights that I took out to the US a few weeks ago, I can tell you now that both those triple sevens that I flew out and in on were rammed. There was really? every seat sold and they were even resorting to asking passengers to check their hand luggage in to the hold to save space. But yeah, the flights were full. I mean, I don't know what it's like with you, Nev, um, going obviously around Europe with the flights that you're travelling, are you seeing the, the seats all filled? Yeah, I mean, uh, and people are paying the price. Uh, obviously, there's been some price increases. Um, I think I would take issue with Tim Clark, and I don't want to get political, obviously, um, but I don't know what the UK government's supposed to do about aviation prices. I mean, oil prices, operational costs... Um, and all those things, you know, that, that it is what it is. Um, and there's no subsidy going on in this country, certainly, uh, unlike some other countries. Um, however, I wouldn't have thought he could complain because I would imagine all of Emirates' flights are also fully booked uh, and overbooked, as he kind of points out. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's got to the stage where passengers are going, well, okay, I know it was £200 last year, it's £300 this year, we want to go away on holiday, we're just going to pay it. So, the, yeah. the only thing I would say, um, in, I guess, in Tim's defence, perhaps, he says trying to play devil's advocate here, I know um, one of the things that, that was, I was having a conversation with someone about this during the week actually, uh, is that actually um, the flights themselves are not too bad um, with the tickets and stuff that I was talking about, but actually there is an, a frightening amount of tax that is put on those tickets here in the, here in the UK that doesn't exist sort of like in other parts of Europe. And I wonder if that's maybe what he's referring to which... Certainly, if you yes, uh, very often if you're going to fly, you want to fly London, New York. Very often, yeah, uh, it's cheaper in a tax point of view uh, to fly to Amsterdam or Frankfurt mm. and then take the flight from there. Uh, there's no two ways about that. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely some 
passenger duty and, and all the rest of it uh, that, that gets added onto your ticket if you're going point to point like that. Yeah, definitely. indeed. And it, it sort of seems, um, for, for reasons I don't really understand, it does seem to be quite it's quite a bit higher here than it is in other parts of mm. in other parts of the world. Um, and I, as I say, playing devil's advocate, I wonder if that's what Tim is perhaps referring to in this scenario. Look at me being, being all informed. <laughs> Nev uses New York, you know, uses New York yeah. as an example. While you two have been chatting, I've just done a quick search, right? Mm. To go out, list, I mean, normally you book ahead. You book your flights yeah, yeah. ahead. You save some money. You book ahead, right? I've just done a quick search online, and I've found a direct flight from London Heathrow to New York, from um, you know, obviously from London Heathrow straight to New York direct. It's operated by United Airlines, booked through Lufthansa. And how much do you think return that's coming out at, at the moment for tomorrow? Flying out tomorrow, um, return flight to New York. In Tw economy. In economy. This is economy, yeah, economy. 1,200? Nev? 2,000? £564. What, return? Return. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's flying out tomorrow. That's actually leaving tomorrow. But is that because perhaps the flights aren't full and they're trying to... I don't know. That, that does seem surprisingly cheap. It is ridiculously cheap. The cheap fares are out there. I think if you've, if you've got the time to sit and... And mess around now, online. I was going to say, never mind uh, if you've got the time to sit around. I think it's more if you've got the balls, frankly, to sit there. If, you, if you're planning to go to New York and you're going to wait till tomorrow to do it, I think that's quite. Yeah, a... I mean, mo I mean, most people book book ahead. I mean, I know yeah. That, um... Most people do. But see, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do. I mean, I know people that literally don't know where they're going on holiday. They've booked some time off, and they don't know where they're going on holiday until they sit down and that. And I don't know about you, Neb, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't leave it to the last minute like that. No, because it is a bit hit or miss, and because yeah. you never know what fare you're going to get, do you? I mean, there's just no telling. No. Uh, so I and just assumed by going late, you know, late booking like that, it was going to be extremely expensive. Yeah, just same as here. A, just as a complete contrast. I've just I've just changed it to business class, obviously just for Nev. Oh, that's more um, it's more you know more more you know, um, and let me just click direct flight to New York in business class, uh -oh. the cheapest flight direct to New York, and this is with JetBlue, funnily enough, oh. uh, comes comes in at uh, four thousand two hundred and forty-six. Oh pounds. my! <laughs> oh, okay. It's a bit more like what we were expecting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, now, with the next story, Nev, I wondered if I could trouble you to read it, as there's some pictures there that I'd like to share. And we have we have taken one of your stories away. I don't know if you've noticed. So uh... No, I haven't noticed, but no. obviously <laughs> I'm happy to uh, to jump in. Thank you. Um, yes, this is on the robreport.com. Um, it says that this Dubai hotel just unveiled a lavish private jet for parties above the clouds. Ooh. I wonder if Pilot Pips... Uh, that, yes. um, well, it's um, this is to do with five hotels and resorts, from what I can gather, and they want take they want to take parting to a new height. Literally, uh, the self-described hospitality disruptor, which helms a number of hotels and resorts in Dubai and Zurich, has just rolled out a new branded jet for private charter. Um, Based in Dubai, Nine Hotel 5, Foxtrot, Indigo, Victor, Echo, is available for short jaw rides or longer international jaunts. Sky High Soirees are 
aren't out of the question either. And the Fly 5 service isn't just for hotel guests. Anyone can charter the jet for up to 12 hours. Uh, based in... Uh, oops, sorry, I've just skipped a line there. Uh, the aircraft offers plenty of space for you and your crew as well. Uh, Nine Hotel 5 is a new 220 from Airbus Corporate Jets, or what ACJ calls extra-large biz jet. The spacious cabin is equipped with 16 seats, a dining table for eight, a generous suite with a king-sized bed and a shower. Other highlights, including an entertainer's kitchen and at least three giant 55-inch TVs. That's not giant, just pointing that out. <laughs> um, the decor is a drastic departure from the typical business jet and is designed to emulate the vibe of a five hotel. The LED lights can make the entire cabin glow in any hue you like, whilst the in-flight music can create a buzzy atmosphere. That's because you've got an earth problem with one of your cables. <laughs> uh, you'll also have high-speed Wi-Fi, so you can gram the whole journey. Gram? Um, wow. Yeah. Another bonus is that Five is committed to offsetting the jet's annual emissions. The company will buy nature-based carbon credits to counter the pollution the aircraft produces. You needn't feel guilty about jet-setting at all. It's not uncommon for hotels to have private jet programs, but the aircraft are typically reserved for more practical functions, for example, bringing guests to remote destinations. Conversely, though, Five's jet is actually designed for partying. Uh, with this customised... Ultra, ultra luxe immersive private jet experience like no other five is once again delivering an elevated and electric customer experience for a worldwide diaspora uh, ceo of five hospitality aloki batra said in a statement suffice it to say uh, nine hotel five does not come cheap how surprising uh, the jet will cost you roughly thirteen thousand to fourteen thousand dollars per hour plus various relocation costs. But it's still cheaper than shelling out for your own 220. I, I mean, mean it looks true. amazing. It does look amazing, doesn't it? But this is this is essentially a a um, you know, a private jet on steroids, isn't it? This is, you know, I mean they're billing it as a a party jet, but you could argue you could do that in virtually any Learjet or or anything like that. I guess you've got the advantage of space, haven't you? But oh yeah, uh, and the interior looks absolutely fantastic, and I'm loving the beds and all that kind the of color. Thing. The colours are awesome. Mm. The LED yeah. lighting's awesome. Yeah, I indeed. Say. I mean, it, it's it, another level of. I mean, if we ever win the lottery between us, then we're. <laughs> That's very true. Nick is saying that it reminds him of the uh, of a premier inn with those purple lighting. Yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, lie, lie flat beds in business class are nice. Don't get me wrong, but having a king size bed to mm. to sleep in on a, on an aircraft. I don't or know if I... other people in. Uh, right. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, I, 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 moving on. The um, I don't know. I feel like this is a bit of a waste, though, to go go to sleep. You know, in this beautiful aircraft. I mean, if you're a, if you're a businessman who's got to get from one part of the world to another, and having a nap is important, then I can absolutely see the see the appeal of it. But then, I don't know. It just I don't know. You, you're so, in Matt, that beautiful you, aircraft. You wouldn't want. You wouldn't have a nap. You, you know? said, Matt. You said fourteen thousand an hour, didn't you? Divide that by how many people can you squeeze in here? That was sixteen. Uh, 16. Yeah. 
16. So if you got with your mates, that's 875 pounds and and uh, is it pounds? Dollars. Million pounds. Dollars. 875 dollars an hour each. I mean, yeah, but you know, it wouldn't be worth it for an hour, would it? So, <laughs> you know, you're looking at sort of, you know, uh, and you've got to get back again, haven't you? I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, yeah, Billy's Billy's saying in the chat room. Imagine what they charge you if you trashed the room. Very good point there. Absolutely <laughs> terrifying thought that. Who's your deposit? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's very nice, and um, as Matt said, we we are all trying furiously to win the lottery each yes. week yes indeed so we can we'll have we'll have a when we win the lottery we'll have a peter uk meetup on it shall we yeah <laughs> let's do that yeah. <laughs> ah, indeed so moving on to the next story now this next story i i found this yesterday i think i plot i popped this in the old uh script for today and i'll be interested to hear your views on this matt and neb because obviously you guys know your tech stuff backwards and forwards anyway so this is all from scmp.com singapore airlines this week um uh, said they're going to roll out free wi-fi for all passengers in all classes so that's everyone who travels on the singapore airlines will have free wi-fi uh they've joined a handful of carriers offering free onboard wi-fi to all passengers as of the first of july this year Customers will now be able to browse, surf the internet without the usual charges or data limits. The in-air internet has long been awkward and messy uh, extra expense at usually more trouble than it's worth, even if, you're, or even if it's available and typically remains exclusive to those who shell out for a first-class or business traveller seat. That has never sat easy with passengers, something the wealthy city-state flag carriers picked up on. Although time online has dropped uh, compared to COVID lockdowns, when people were le often left with little else to do, the world's 5 billion regular internet users were still spending over six hours a day surfing and scrolling back in 2022, according to We Are Social, a UK business that tracks web and social media use. At the same time, air passenger numbers are rebounding. According to the International Air Transport Association, uh, their global passenger traffic in April 2023 was back to 90% of the pre-COVID level, meaning that the world is on track for a return to the 4.5 billion carried back in 2019, the year before the pandemic started with the imposition of restrictions on travel. Putting two and two together, carriers such as Singapore Airlines are looking to free Wi-Fi as a way to sway passengers when it comes to deciding which airline to fly with. In today's increasing hyper-connected world, high-speed in-flight Wi-Fi connectivity is one of the most important requirements for our customers, said Yeo Pitik, the airline's senior vice president of customer service. Uh, Passengers will have to sign up for the airline's free Wi-Fi to join a loyalty program to access the Wi-Fi, similar to how some of the handful of other carriers that offer free Wi-Fi, such as Qatar Airways and Delta Airlines, operate their systems. Singapore Airlines have said they, uh, the offer will apply to the 129 of its 136 aircraft, except for seven Boeing 737-800NGs, it said, are not Wi-Fi enabled. Now, obviously... I, I got the chance to use Wi-Fi on the way over to the U.S. a few weeks ago with American. It was quick. You know, I managed to tune into the show and watch you guys um, when you were doing the live show on the Friday night. It was, I watched it, admittedly I watched it in 720p, but, you know, I was watching the show uh, on my phone. It was fine. But, I mean, what you're, obviously, 
this is originally restricted to business class and first class passengers or people who want to pay the premium. This is open now to all classes. So you've got a, say, a standard flight of, I don't know what, Nev, 777, 280, yeah. 290 passengers. Yeah. What, what do you think the implications of having more than 200 people trying to connect to an internet service on board an aircraft? Uh, a loss of frame rate uh, for a start. Uh, people trying to download or stream high res stuff unless it's restricted. Um, and of course, there are quite a lot. I remember going on, well, many journeys actually, even uh, on BA's journey to Stockholm this week, where their Wi Fi just wasn't working for <clears throat> probably about half an hour in, in the journey. I think the idea is great. Whether the system has got the bandwidth capability to deal with all this stuff, bearing in mind people just don't have one device. They've probably got a phone and a tablet and, you know, all sorts of other things. And they've got a Kindle with them, or oh, let's download a new book whilst we're there now. I know that's not a very high res or high bandwidth requirement for that. But, um, well, if it works, then I think it's, it's the way forward. Um, but it's got to be reliable and I think if it's not uh, then it's just a disappointment and of course if it's free they you know people can't ask for their money back because they're just offering it without any um, any charge aren't they so that's what I think anyway I mean though those who want to so some my, my two pence for it, it's like those who want to to use the premium will have paid for it regardless i'm a bit like that and i know i shouldn't i should be looking out the window and all that kind of thing but if i am in the aircraft the novelty for me still hasn't worn off about being able to send whatsapp videos and pictures and and messages like you know from thirty-five thousand feet that still hasn't like been lost with me but i i just as, as, as Nev's saying there, like making it available to everyone is not going to give, make it a good service. So everybody's going to have a very sort of, you know, degraded experience. And the majority of people who are there probably wouldn't be that fussed about having access to Wi-Fi while they're in the air. But those who do would be happy to pay the, the, the premium and therefore as a result get a, a better and high quality service. So hmm. I don't know. I'm a bit sort of on the fence with this with this one. And as, as I'm sure Carlos would say, what's the matter? We're just sitting there and looking out the window. That's the, best, that's the best high res, res video you'll that, ever see. That yeah. view was amazing. Yeah, I bet. Uh, the other, you know, like a few weeks ago, it was fantastic. Mm. It really was. I bet, but, I bet. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's see if other airlines... Well, I know, I know Emirates um, recently did a post, didn't they, saying that it's actually available on some of their routes now, um, premium, uh, like sort of, you know, pre uh, like free Wi-Fi and stuff on board. Um, and I because I, I think it's always been you've always been able to have like half an hour or something like that, but it's you know sort of like extended, extended times and stuff. Well, I don't know. Bearing in mind that uh, Singapore operates the A380 as well, that's uh, 450 oh. passengers. That's an awful lot of bandwidth, isn't mm, it? It is. Yeah, <laughs> especially shared amongst everyone else, as you say. Yeah. Hmm. Not sure on that one. No. Well, we'll see what. We'll see where this goes. Perhaps when you um, when you jet off later on this year, Matt, you can give us a your own tech yeah, review on the uh, on the Wi-Fi. I'll do yeah. a, I'll do a speed test or twelve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nev, you've got the next story, and we're back in BA world. 
Yes, and this is also one of my favourite aircraft as well. Uh, it's on flightglobal.com and it says, The A350 is a delight in the air, says British Airways Director of Flying. If there are any cynical concerns that the advanced automation on the Airbus A350 would reduce the pilot's job to little more than computer monitoring, BA Director of Flying Captain James Basnett does not share them. The joy of flying has not been lost, he told a Royal Aeronautical Society audience on the 23rd of March uh, as he spoke about his Impressions of the twin jets taken at the aircraft's sophistication enables efficient performance whilst retaining the satisfaction of manual flight. Uh, whilst entry into service with BA has been very smooth, he says that the aircraft's electronic setup for flight notably takes twice as long for that uh, compared to an A320. Uh, the airline's reliance on paper in the cockpit has markedly declined in the last three or four years, he said, noting, we're not quite there yet, but we're nearly there. Uh, the aircraft carries out detailed performance calculations, taking into account effects from individual system status and cross-checking figures with its expectations. Basnet says that takeoff weight limitations on the A350 are very rare, even at hot and high airports, such as uh, Johannesburg in South Africa. It's probably true to say that once you're away from the ground, there's a sense of relief because the setup of the aircraft is time-consuming and critical, he said. Once you're in the air, though, the A350 is a delight. Uh, the primary flight displays contain so much information, he says, such as uh, uh, features as vertical profile, terrain and balance data, and are a step up from the A320. This requires a different approach to, to, to the traditional instrument T-scan in earlier aircraft, he adds. Once established in the cruise, the aircraft burns fuel at about six tonnes per hour. Uh, Basnet says that the A350 provides flight crew with information on contingency scenarios with a what-if function, giving detailed details detailed data on single-engine descents, for example, enabling the pilots to engage in more interactive preparation. The A350 has all of these tools at your behest, he says. The crew can then go into minute detail for approach planning, he said, and the A350 is really stable aircraft, both in cruise and descent. Load alleviation and flap controls are constantly doing things which are completely outside the pilot, he adds. But although a lot of information is need to know, the crew can call up systems pages to understand the jet's behaviour. Basnet stresses the benefits of the A350's brake-to-vacate function, which constantly updates the automatic braking requirement according to the aircraft status and runway condition. This gives the pilots surety in the runway exit after touchdown, sufficient to assist air traffic control with approach stream spacing. Although he admits it can be a bit unnerving because whilst auto braking usually begins immediately, brake to vacate optimises the deceleration timing, which means that the brakes might not activate for a few seconds after landing. British Airways has 13 A350-1000s with 250 pilots assigned to this type. Basnet says that the aircraft is one he feels at home in and argues that, it's, that it is completely future-proof, already prepared for the implementation of new independent approach patterns at airports. He says that Airbus has nailed it in many ways with the A350, adding that it stands up well compared with the Boeing 777. It's a fantastic aircraft, he says. Pilots love flying it. Well, Carlos and I liked being a passenger in one. Oh, yes. I went we to uh, Dubai um, in uh, 2019, October 2019, wasn't it? Uh, on a three-week-old A350-1000. It was beautiful, wasn't it? That was very nice, Nev, yeah. And nice chat with the flight deck crew as well. Yeah, as, as like Nev said as well, he said before, you've said before, Nev, it is, is incredibly quiet as well. 
yeah. uh, an aircraft to be a passenger on. And um, yeah, I've been lucky as like Nev has to have flown on the 350 a number of times now. And um, yeah, it's it's up there with the Dreamliner, I will say. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to the next story, he says, as he tries and pulls the notes back down. There we go. I found it. Uh, Matt, you've got the next story. And uh, it seems like, is it me or do we keep giving Matt all the stories about strikes this week? I know. Mm. <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, if you want me to go on strike, that's fine, by the way. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> Where do you live? The UK? Oh, yeah, you do live in the yeah, UK. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we, we mentioned it earlier about French air traffic control. We are not immune uh, let's be fair ukaviation.news is the source for this one and the headline is Heathrow strikes could affect up to 43 yes you heard me right 43,000 flights security staff at London Heathrow Airport are set to go on strike this summer as Unite demands an inflation busting 12% pay rise for its staff despite inflation falling below 10% the strikes have been timed to cause maximum disruption to holidaymakers during the summer holidays with August alone set to see up to 10,000 flights affected according to data from aviation anal analytics from firm Serum. 42,600 flights are scheduled to depart from London Heathrow between the 24th of June and the 27th of August with 20,162 of those set to depart on actual strike days uh, which total 21. Heathrow Airport says it already has contingency plans with their spokesperson adding Unite has already tried and failed to disrupt the airport with unnecessary strikes on some of our busiest days and we can continue to build our plans to protect journeys during any future strike action. The simple fact remains that the majority of colleagues do not support Unite strikes. There is a two-year inflation-beating pay rise ready for colleagues if only Unite would allow them to have a say. Unite represents some staff in Terminals 3 and 5 and its members are the only ones to have rejected a 10.1% pay offer which other staff have accepted Heathrow says it will continue to talk to unite so there we go um, don't really have uh, a, a bun in the fight on this one if I, I'm honest with you I fully appreciate how frustrating it will be I understand why they're choosing this particular time to do strikes I do feel it is frustrating that some people have accepted it and some haven't um, but I guess that's the nature of the beast Hmm. I just, I just hope, you know, bearing in mind, as we were saying earlier, wasn't it, Carlos? You know how much, how much it costs for families to get together and go on holiday. I just hope that, if you like, innocent parties aren't inconvenienced too much, because that's the only bit that I'm worried about. I mean, like, you know, uh, people like Oscar. Let's use Oscar as a, as an example. They're, you know, very much looking forward to their holiday to Mallorca. They will have been excited about it for at least a year. Uh, all excited about doing that. Looking forward to sitting in the cockpit when they get the other end, chatting to the pilots and all that kind of thing. And all that could well be taken away from them because of the strike action. On the other hand, everybody deserves fair pay. So it is it is a tricky one. I I I fully understand. And I guess we'll just have to. Uh, uh, see what happens when when the strike action gets underway. Hmm. Uh, don't want to be too controversial, Ooh. but I would have thought that a ten point one percent pay rise is reasonable. Seems fair, um, doesn't it? <laughs> and they should be careful what they wish for because the last time this happened, the last two times it happened, 
the military took over and they did a sterling job. It was very efficient, wasn't it? Yes. In T5. <laughs> and um, so that's just uh, food for thought. Yes. yes, careful what you wish for sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know, absolutely know what you mean, Nev. And, and, and let's hope the contingency plans do work because, as I say, my, my heart goes out to, you know, everything's so expensive. Holidays, as we were saying earlier, are so expensive. Mm. And they, I know they're a luxury item and something we can do without. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the families who have been looking forward to this for a year or more. Um, and I, I, w- I would be heartbroken on their behalf, I think, if, if you know, these amazing... I'll, I'll tell you what has gone up the price as well, Matt. Yeah. Holiday oh. insurance. Really? Interesting. Yeah, I've, no- I've noticed in the last last couple of years that holiday insurance has gone up. I mean, I've just renewed our, our global insurance for another year yeah. for both me yes, and Gemma I, and that. And I, I, must, I must get some sorted for, for the States, actually. So do, uh, yeah. do uh, I'd, be, I'd be welcome to suggestions. Uh, I, I, spent, I spent hours on the internet getting, getting yeah. a, a decent but not £50 billion cover. Yeah, so indeed. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll send Thank you. you. Yes, it's eternally absolutely. grateful. Yes. Anyway, enough about our personal admin on the show. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Ed, uh, you've got the last uh, story in the commercial news this week, and it's uh, it's kind of commercial news, but in a GA fashion. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine living in a tiny studio apartment. You barely have enough uh, room to lie down let alone do anything normal people might want to do in their homes. Now, imagine that you're sharing this space with someone else, uh, and that's not an apartment. Instead, it's actually a single-engine, small aircraft that won't touch the ground for more than two months. I'm sorry, what? I think we need to read on to find out the real story. Uh, because that's more or less the hell that Robert, Tim and John Cook decided to put themselves through when they set the world record for the longest continuous flight by living in a Cessna 172 as it flew over Las Vegas for 64 days, 22 hours and 19 minutes in 1959. The stunt was done as a promotion for the then new Hacienda Hotel and Casino, which Tim, who's an ex-World War II fighter pilot turned slot machine repairman, uh, suggested to hotel management. Uh, the Hacienda gave him 100,000 US dollars, which is over a million dollars in today's money, to put the stunt together under the guise of being a cancer research fundraiser. Part of that money went towards purchasing a then relatively new Cessna 172 uh, in the single engine propeller airplane, which has, in the decades since its introduction, made a name for itself as being more or less the Volvo 240 of the sky. <laughs> Stable and reliable. Uh, to make the plane a bit more suited to purpose, Tim modified the Cessna, typically a four-seat aircraft, by adding a mattress, a small sink, and a very basic autopilot system. He also removed many of the plane's interior fittings to save some weight, and they also painted the Hacienda Hotel's logo on the side of the plane for obvious reasons. So now he had the machine, which was part billboard, part transportation, and part prison cell, and he was just about to be ready to take to the skies. The last huge remaining issue from a technological point of view was uh, fuel. Uh, Being in the late 50s, mid-air refueling wasn't really a thing, and it was definitely not something he could rig up for the Cessna, Cessna, even if it were, but unlike big planes and fighters, the Cessna had a trick up its sleeve. It was really, really slow. So with everything more or less figured out, 
He set about uh, actually uh, attempting the record, but his first three attempts were foiled by mechanical trouble. His fourth attempt with co-pilot airplane mechanic John Cook uh, began on December the 4th, 1958, when they took off from Vegas's McCarran Airport. And during the attempt, food was passed up to the plane from the Hacienda kitchens during fueling. But it had all been a bit mashed up and shoved into thermos bottles to make it easier to get into the plane. Bathroom duties, this is the bit I was concerned about here, were dealt with via a camp toilet oh. and the plastic bags filled with material uh, were flung haphazardly into the Mojave. Uh, bathing only sort of happened thanks to a quart of bath water sent up every other day, which leads us to believe that the inside of the plane got pretty ripe. Uh, noise and vibration <laughs> oh. from the single engine... <laughs> made sleeping pretty tough as well. But by the time the duo decided to pull the plug on their flight, the little Cessna had undergone a bunch of mechanical failures. These included the autopilot, the pump for transferring fuel, the landing lights, the fuel gauge and the cabin heater, which ensured that everything was both dangerous and miserable. Well, when Tim and Cook finally landed, they had to be pulled out of the plane as they were unable to walk thanks to being unable to stand or move normally for over two months. What? It's unclear whether they were, uh, these were other lasting, there were other lasting physiological effects from the flight, but by the end of the 64 days, 22 hours and 19 minutes, the duo had travelled around 150,000 miles. Uh, whilst their record was very nearly beaten by a solar-powered drone in 2022, it's incredibly unlikely that no flight crewed by human beings will ever top want Tim, what uh, Robert, Tim and John Cook achieved. And frankly, who would want to? Jeez. Wow. That is incredible, honestly. Um, I literally have no words. I, I'm, I'm sort of like quite frightened by that, to be honest with you. It just sounds horrendous. Well, I think we need to look into the chat room to see what, what their opinions uh, are. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean the, what's the longest flight now? They have 20 hours, isn't it, I think? Well, it's, yeah. yeah, at the moment I yeah. think it's sort of London to, to Perth, Perth and, yeah. th and then I think next year or the year after it'll be uh, Melbourne, Sydney and Melbourne. So, so Mazus is saying that sounds like a typical Ryanair <laughs> flight, I, th I think that's a bit <laughs> harsh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not, uh, not, the, not the future there I think. Any more there, Nev, is there... Uh... Uh, let's have a look. I, I didn't actually uh, look properly. It's um, <laughs> just like, honestly. Uh, yeah, Mark uh, comes up with some uh, reasonable points. In the days when pilots were bold and mad. Well, quite, yes, absolutely. Mad as a box of frogs, I think, is the word we're looking for there. Uh, and then Bill says, and people complain about being kept in the plane for a few hours. True, yeah. true. Uh, well, I mean, I, I hope they raised lots of money. That's that's the thing, isn't it? I hope they made lots of money for, for yeah. the charities that they were uh, allegedly doing it for. Although you're never, you're never quite sure in those days, are you? Oh, like... yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Never very, mind. Very Good fun. I don't think, yeah. As much as I love flying, I think two and two months in a uh, one seven two. Yeah, <clears throat> I like my creature comforts. Anyway, moving on to the next part of the show, and uh, we've obviously been playing out the segments all from the uh, the wonderful museum that me and Nev ventured to uh, not so long back. And uh, Nev, 
What's uh, what's the next video in the segment for this week? Yes, of course, we're up at the uh, Museum of Flight in East Fortune, just outside of Edinburgh. Uh, some great content to come. Still got to play out the interview that we did with uh, uh, Ian, who's the curator up there. But um, just taking around some of the aircraft in the hangars there. And uh, we went up to take a look at the Avro Anson, which um, is a British twin design, multi-role aircraft, uh, built by the aircraft manufacturer Avro and first flew in 1935. So let's go up to the uh, Museum of Flight to join us up there. Standing here next to probably one of the more well-known aircraft of the uh, Second World War, uh, the Avro Anson. It's a name, I, I mean, I've, I've heard the, the name mentioned quite a few times in stories and books that I've read, Nev, in regards to the war. Now, this Anson, uh, the airliner or the aircraft itself, entered service as an airliner back in 1935. It was used by the Royal Air Force at the start of the Second World War for anti-submarine patrols. Ansons were widely used, or wi widely used as training or transport aircraft uh, for most of the war and several years after, and many were eventually sold on uh, to civilian companies. This particular Anson we've got here was operated by the Royal Air Force units for 10 years. Uh, in civil ownership, it was used for, for uh, photographic uh, survey work in England and Northern Ireland. And some of the fabric covering of the aircraft we've got here behind us has been removed so you can see the structure uh, beneath and what goes on you know, behind the fabric of the aircraft. Uh, built 1947, uh, this is a Mark C-19 or C-19. A uh, crew of two pilots would sit in this uh, with passengers, up to six passengers on here, which is quite surprising mm. though, considering how large the aircraft is. Yeah. Uh, had a top speed of 190 miles per hour or 306 kilometers per hour and uh, a range nev, which I thought was quite short for this, I thought. Yes, range. 610 miles, which when you're doing a photographic survey, isn't a lot, is it? You can no. bur burn through 600 miles very quickly, I would have thought. Yeah, well, we, we know someone, a friend of the show, don't we, who used to do survey mm. work, yeah, who were flying round and round. Yeah. And yeah, 610 miles, mm. not, not the biggest uh, range really. But again, really well-preserved aircraft. And uh, it, uh, it looks quite strange now, actually. If you look at the back here with the fabric removed, you can see all the ribs of the aircraft and the internals of the aircraft itself. Yeah. But a popular mm. aircraft, I will say, there's a few of these dotted around the UK in various museums. But this particular one here at uh, the National Museum of Flight, to say, very well preserved. Excellent to, uh, to see these up close and personal. What do you think, Nev? Great, isn't it? And, yeah. and I, I love coming to museums like this because my knowledge of these kind of aircraft is, is not very extensive uh, and so I'm always educated either by you or by <laughs> the cheat sheet we've got in front of us or one of the volunteers so it's, it's fascinating and you always learn so much by just coming around these museums and uh, I, I can't thank the museum enough for their hospitality and all the things they've done for us so far today. Very true, yeah. still loads more to see and mm. do so back to you in the studio. Well Nev Another enjoyable uh, little piece there, and what what a fantastic aircraft actually to uh, be. It's so with. well presented, isn't it? Everything yeah. that they've got in that museum is beautifully presented at the ones that are in the, in the hangars. And uh, yeah, we'll be playing out some more over the coming weeks, and then um, we'll be featuring, as I say, Ian, who's the curator of the museum. Had a great chat with him. Really interesting about how they go about looking after these aircraft. So uh, yeah, superb uh, once again.
Yeah, it's definitely worth a visit. As we said, if you've not been there before, it is, uh, well, it is a fantastic uh, day out. I think two day out. I think they have to try yeah, and get everything in, really, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, we have got another video segment. This one's been sent in to especially from Armando. Uh, you may know he's been uh, doing all things Reno, and uh, he's been very busy indeed. And uh, this particular video he's got, he's done a little interview uh, with Neil Parkinson at the Reno Air Races. And Neil is, believe it or not, a Spitfire pilot. So, Matt, roll the video. All right, guys. So I'm here with Neil Parkinson. Before we get into what he actually does for a day job, um, let's talk about being here at the Reno Air Races. First of all, you just did your first, first couple laps around the course at the Reno Aires. How did that feel? It is amazing. I mean, it's a schoolboy dream and an ambition, and to be offered the chance to, to race in its final year is a, is a dream come true. A schoolboy dream? Yeah. So how long have you known about Reno? Um, well, I read Pilot Magazine when I was 10, and there was articles on air racing, and you watch the, the Bearcats and the stuff in the 80s doing it, and, and, and to actually, and I was actually giggling earlier on, as I turned around a pylon, because it's not just a pylon, it's a pylon that says Reno on the side of it, which is incredible, isn't it? So, so how did you end up here? A um, long way from home. Yes. So I was doing an air show in Portugal, um, and I bumped into Rick Van Dam and a few of the air racing guys, and I literally said, I would love to come to Reno, uh, even if it's sweeping the hangar or wiping oil, and they said, we can do better than that, and they, luckily enough, I got an aeroplane to use. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you were uh, doing an air show in Portugal. I assume that was with the Spitfire. Yes. Yeah. So we, um, my, um, my number two job is is lucky enough flying Spitfires in the UK, and uh, we have four of them. Uh, I don't own them. I'm just the pilot. And I was lucky enough to get given the job to ferry a Spitfire Mark Nine from England down to Portugal. It took two days, five stops to get down there. Um, I was there for four or five days doing two air shows, met all the guys, talked about Reno over a beer, and then had to fly the Spitfire back to England. Um, and the Spitfire's not designed for long flights. <laughs> well, I, I, so for me as an American living over in the UK, I remember, I specifically remember, aside from the air shows, sitting in my back garden in Barry St. Edmunds, mm -hmm. and occasionally on a weekend, um, unexpected to me as an American, I don't, you know, not too familiar with the holidays. I would just sit back there with a cup of tea and a newspaper, almost and then English. almost English. And then you would hear the sound. Yes. You would hear the sound of a Spitfire coming over, and they would come right over the town, the town center of Barry St. Edmunds, and do a couple rolls. And I always thought, how does somebody get? How does somebody in our age? get into flying a Spitfires and I'm lucky enough to have heard the story already but how did you get into flying Spitfires? Well, lots of people ask me that they say is a Spitfire difficult to fly and you say it's very easy compared to convincing someone you should be able to fly it <laughs> and, and, and flying it is perfectly reasonable and it's achievable but getting convincing someone to let you fly a Spitfire is nearly impossible so I'm, I'm very lucky that that my childhood you know passion for Spitfires came true um, I was I knew what I needed to do and I'd been flying for a living for 30 years now but at the time 22 23 um, and I knew what I needed to get to lots of tailwheel time aerobatics air shows and just being in the right place and being seen on the people who made the decisions radar and I was lucky about seven years ago to get the dream phone call saying come and have a go see if you can crack it 
What did you do to, to build that experience, that tailwheel time and air shows? What did you do to land the job? Well, I, had a, I built a pit special when I was a kid. Uh, and I had that, and that's my baby. I've still got it. Um, and uh, I got a display authorization to fly that and did church fate air shows to begin with and village shows and that sort of stuff, and then bigger air shows. And, and in the UK, you have a thing called a display authorization, which is a amendment to your license saying you can do that. So you, you start off high and you can gradually bring it down. Um, I did five years of wing walking Stearmans, the Stearmans with the girls oh, on the top. Wow. Uh, so which is again useful and uh, quite a bit of Harvard time so I, I, I sort of tick the boxes on someone that should be able to do it um, and then they, they put you in the front and, and see if you can do it so yeah so as far as the Spitfire goes if somebody wanted more information on that what's the name of the company and how can it do you guys I assume you guys do rides yes and, right? yeah so the company's called Spitfires with an S Spitfires.com um, and uh, our primary business is selling rides in two-seat Spitfires. So look on the website. You can start off at half an hour, and you can have as long as your, your bank account allows you to have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's a, that's a dangerous way to sell that. Um, I, I want to bring it back to Reno here real quick. So as we know, this is the last Reno Air Races. Um, I, I guess from a, from a ground personnel standpoint, I'm, lo I'm loving seeing new faces, new uh, experience especially on this last year what does this mean to you what what does it mean to you to be here and by all accounts he's doing pretty well in, in pylon racing school um, and to be able to race in the last Reno air race as your first one well it's, it's just a privilege really um, it is such a privilege that people have trusted me to fly their aeroplane around the course and and to fly around the course and and I've just been watching the playback of the cockpit video and it seemed very quick and you watch the video and it, it is quick. It's an incredible yeah. feeling and it's, it's hallowed turf out there. You know, it's, it's, it um, the history out there is, is immense. What's been your favorite part of this whole week? I think overtaking people on the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's the crowd pleaser, right? Yeah. Like that's why people come here because you can barely see. I mean, you can see the backside of the course from the stands, but really that's what everybody comes here for is that last photo finish on the home stretch yeah. um what goes through your mind what you were so you were out there today you've, i mean you've been in school for a week i mean it's the second time i've done it so i'd be lying to say i had much spare capacity to think about things but <laughs> but it, it's an incredible experience the flying is amazing and and you're down at 50 60 feet doing 250 mile an hour it's it's incredible um it's um Yes, yeah, it's, it's. I can't explain it. Really. Yeah. I'm still on the high. I haven't gotten to come down yet. <laughs> That's why I wanted to do the interview right yeah. now. Yeah. So, did you even have the chance today to look at your engine parameters? Look at you know. I know. Yeah. I know. Even just finding the pylons, because to be clear, the pylons is just a, a 50 foot tele, telephone pole with a, a 50 gallon drum painted red or white. So they're not exactly easy to find in the desert, right? And, and that was the battle, um, and uh, I was at the front of the pack earlier on, and you've got to find the pylons. Obviously, the fortunate place of being slightly back is you can follow other people, mm. but I was at the front, and again, you're, you're trying to find them, and someone new like me, it, I'm still learning the course. And did, did your particular flight switch courses did you yes. start on one course and you then... start off on the big course and then you come into the, the closer course yeah. um, but the 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 the, um, the pylons change color you just got to remember as you're turning around the corner to go right I'm now going to this one yeah um, but I'm still learning the racing line um, and uh, another two trips tomorrow yeah what do you want to get out of this week a pass <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I mean, to be able to come here, and I have a feeling that no matter what happens, you're probably going to be here in September. Great. Um, So going back to your day job, here you are, right? So we are already talking about, and I know you flew helicopters. So how did you get into aviation, and then... And then where did you end up? What is your actual job that pays for all So um, uh, I saw Star Wars when I was about three, and I wanted to fly spaceships. Uh, and then by about the age of 10, I realized I couldn't fly spaceships. Um, so I got a job at my local airfield when I was 13, washing Cessnas. Every four days I washed Cessnas, I got a flying lesson. So by the time I was 17, which is the age limit back then to have a license, I had about 100 hours and I'd done all my exams and I did my first solo on my birthday. Oh, wow. And then that got my private pilot's license over there. And then a bit of house building. I was meant to go in the British military, but the def- Russians gave up and defence cuts. So I then got a bank loan. Um, that's uh, Western civilization summed up in about 30 yeah. seconds. <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs> um, and then so I got a bank loan and I became a helicopter instructor. Yeah. On, initially on Robinsons, uh, then onto jet ranges and turbine. And I spent the last 10 years of my helicopter career doing um, EMS helicopters uh, and police. Wow. Uh, so picking up poorly people and chasing yeah. naughty people. Which is uh, so unique over there. I, it, it, we've On the show, we've talked about the differences between... Uh, government-funded uh, aeromedical here in the U.S. and over there being essentially private and then a lot of donations to keep those operations going. Um, but then you ended up as a corporate pilot. Yeah, so about 15 years ago, um, I got lured into corporate jet flying um, and uh, Citations, the lovely Hawker, uh, Global Express, and for the last six years I've been flying a Falcon 7X out of Biggin Hill in London, which is a lovely aircraft, it's a dream come true, and I work for a particularly nice chap who's a very rich chap, um, and he uses me about five days a month, and so the rest of the time it allows me to do the Spitfire flying and come and do this sort of thing. Yeah, so we always ask this one question, (laughs) look at this, this is Reno. Uh, So we always ask this question, I didn't prep you for this question, and I can't believe I'm asking this first from someone who flies a Spitfire, but we always end with, if money was no object and you could fly any airplane, past, present, or future, what airplane would that be? Um, well, if you'd asked me until six years ago, I'd have said a Spitfire, and all my childhood it had been a Spitfire, and there's posters of Spitfires, and as an Englishman, it's a, it's a celebrity and an icon, as well as a, a really nice aircraft. I'm lucky that I've ticked that box, so if now, I don't know. I'd like to fly a, one of the big American radial fighters, maybe. Oh, yeah. But um, but I'm 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 very happy with what I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. See, now this is the problem, isn't it? Because we always ask the question, you know, what would they like to fly? And the response is almost always a Spitfire. So the opportunity to ask someone who does fly a Spitfire, <laughs> uh, sort of nice yeah. to hear the alternative answer, really, I suppose, because uh, he has ticked that box, as he said at the end there. But what a wonderful interview. Um, and uh, I think uh, Armando is hoping to catch up with him um, uh, sort of perhaps over here in the UK. So very, very exciting. Great interview, as always. It sounds like they've had just the best time out there. It's, it just sounds amazing. Hopefully we'll get uh, Armando on in. I know he's busy for the next few weeks, isn't he? But hopefully yeah. he'll be with us uh, again soon and we can hear all about the Reno. All about the Reno. <laughs> is that um, is that something you wouldn't mind trying there, for a little flight in the Spitfire? Just out of interest? Uh, yes, I think I would, actually. Yes, I think I would. Uh, that would suit me very nicely. It's um, there is something so iconic about it, isn't it? This, yeah. is, this is the thing, isn't it? It's a bit like Concorde. 
for me. It, it's that same sort of thing. It's got that same gravitas and um, you know, the, the, and that that roar of the Merlin engine is something mm. that I'll never, you know, that that noise is just so unique and so beautiful. I actually, I'll, I'll just before we move on, I will just say when when me and Armando went to that flying barbecue few, mm. um, the first few days, I was with him um, over at Landis Field. They had a raffle, a big raffle, a massive raffle. There was prizes, the headsets, all stuff to do with aviation. It was huge. One of the prizes was uh, a flight in a P fifty one Mustang, oh, um, wow. and it was it was actually a flight in in the one used on Top Gun, oh, the okay. Maverick, which is actually owned by Tom Cruise. Right, and I'll tell you what, I've never seen Armando move so quick to get back to the um, to the ha- <laughs> you know the highest where they were doing the draw just to see really? you know, see who won, yeah. but uh, to see who won, but um, yeah. It's one of those tick boxes, I think, guys. Flight in a P fifty one Mustang or a flight in a Spitfire. I think it's something we'd all love to. Now um... you, you can keep the Mustang, Spitfire all the way for me. Even <laughs> I would be willing to go up in. I, I, well, I would... What about the uh, B seventeen, Matt, or the Lancaster? Yeah, actually, do you know what? Yes, I would. I mean, you've got the Sally B behind. I you. have, yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? Actually, because um, it would be spacious for for which would be refreshing, frankly. I, I do you know what? Yeah, because that, again, that's another one. I, I mean, I suppose for me, it's more synonymous because of obviously the very famous film um, that that it was was part of. Memphis so Bell. yeah, the old Memphis Bell film. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, yeah, probably yeah, be, yeah, that one, that that the the B seventeen or the or the Spitfire, I think. For me yeah you can keep your mustang not interested uh, in that. richard adams is saying in the chat room uh, just nip down to goodwood uh you can get 30 minutes um at four and a half grand right okay <laughs> um right okay it's a little bit out of my price range i gotta be honest uh, <laughs> nev's on his way now well Lovely. done yes okay i mean it's just like <laughs> yeah i mean it is an, it's such an iconic thing isn't it I, I, it's so good if i had it i would pay it I, there's no two ways about it. There is no two ways. So, about it. Uh, as, uh, as it's nice to see Armando as well on the video, but we've got Armando back again in video form, albeit. But uh, it's time for some military aviation news. Nev's favourite part of the show. So, Matt, hit that button. Watch up, buggies one three five fifty angel sixteen three four zero. Hey guys, uh, our first military story is something that we've talked about on the show for a couple of years now about the dependency on GPS and where do we think that's going? Should there be any kind of GPS jamming or a failure in the system even? So recently an Air Force C-17 uh, tested a new technology that could help aviators stay on their course even if the GPS system, um, which most of modern day aviation relies upon, is compromised. So the, the the successful demonstration was held last month, and it's a promising development in a time where many national security experts are worrying that GPS navigation could be disrupted by signal jamming, cyber attacks, or even an actual kinetic sort of anti-satellite weapon, uh, somebody launching a missile 
or some kind of laser and taking out the GPS satellite constellation. Currently, many military and civilian aviation uh, organizations and aircraft rely on a combination of uh, GPS and internal, uh, sorry, inertial navigation. So inertial navigation systems um, take an aircraft's initial position, and then it uses velocity, acceleration, the laws of physics really to determine where the aircraft is at any given point in time. The advantage of such systems is that they do not depend on external signals and they can't be jammed. The disadvantage of the system is that it actually grows less accurate over time, which can be a problem over long flights like a bomber strike flight or a cargo uh, aircraft doing some kind of infiltration or exfiltration. Now, uh, with the advent of GPS, um, many inertial navigation systems are backed up by GPS systems and they use that to do an update every once in a while. Now without GPS, aviators have to use other ways to update the inertial navigation system. Some of those methods actually go back centuries. One of those is a magnetic compass. But of course, as we know, anomalies in the Earth's crust could tell aviators more than just the general direction of north. When mapped, uh, the different levels of magnetization generated by each anomaly can actually help navigators figure out where they are. The trouble is that performing magnetic navigation in real time is very difficult, especially when modern aircraft have uh, lights, transmitters, computers, all kinds of other devices that generate electromagnetic noise and disrupt those calculations. So one of the central challenges of magnetic navigation is that sorting a clean signal through that noise uh, to get an accurate read of the Earth's magnetic field is actually pretty difficult. Artificial in intelligence uh, it has finally made that possible. There's a company called Magnav. It's a Magnav project that's created in an open source magnetic navigation open challenge to build a machine learning model for removing aircraft electromagnetic noise from the total magnetic field. So these algorithms are sorting out that noise, and according to their spokesperson, uh, it was pretty challenging to do that. Um, figuring out a way to run those algorithms, not on a supercomputer lab, but on a laptop aboard a moving aircraft, uh, was, was a pretty big challenge. And that's how a lot of our technologies in the military start, is just a, a carry-on, carry-off capability that eventually is, serves as a proof of concept. And after years it it becomes you know a program of record tribe piped uh, part of the aircraft so the magnav team was working with mit's lincoln labs uh, that's and the air force research lab sensors directorate the air force institute of technology autonomy and navigation center and a software company called sandbox aq to develop a quantum magnetic sensor that could be flown aboard a c-17 now the chance to demonstrate the system came in the uh, a previous exercise called Exercise Golden Phoenix. It's a two-week exercise where airmen, marines, sailors practiced moving people and cargo to locations in California and Nevada to hone those mobility operations that I was talking about earlier that might be required against uh, a near-peer adversary in a conflict. Now, integrating all these methods could result in a diversified navigation system with no single point of failure in that, that aircraft could be just the beginning. According to an Air Force press release, it noted that uh, future magnav experiments could take place aboard submarines, hypersonic glide vehicles, drones even, um, in a small form factor. Um, 
this is important. This is an important uh, advancement in technology. And we kind of figured that artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to be augmenting um, all, all aspects of military aviation and eventually commercial aviation, because that's kind of the way it flows down. But it's, it's interesting to see that the US Air Force and these, you know, uh, civilian uh, industry partners are actually tackling the prob the problem of um, the reliance on GPS constellations to um, to navigate. So this is an interesting one. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, I imagine that this is probably going to be a you know multi year, four or five year project, and we'll probably see something, um, or we may see something and then not hear about it because that's the way that. The Air Force loves to do things. Thanks, Armando, as always, for that. And I'll tell you what, guys, one of those things, you know, that that when I, all those years ago, started to learn to fly, and I was in that little 150, and we, I was get, happened, being taught how to use a chart and a, and, and the uh, whiz wheel and the, and the compass and stuff to navigate cross-country and stuff. And you, I used to think, oh, I'll just get my phone out and put Sky Demon on. It's way quicker. But obviously, you rely on things like GPS heavily, not just in cars, but as, as you know, in, in aircraft and stuff to find out where you are. And when you do lose something like a GPS system, um, you have got to revert to you've got to revert to something else or to something old school, such as a map. I mean, Nev, you've got obviously you've got GPS and sat nav in your um, in the old banana. And I mean, if you if that packed up, I'm I'm sure you'd probably what you'd probably use Waze or Google Maps on your phone. Or my sense of personal direction, uh, which is obviously okay if you're on the road, but if you're in the yeah. air, that's a, a more challenging thing. But of course, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's all about doing it properly, isn't it? You know, raw data and uh, manual stuff and charts. That's. that's I mean, can you can you remember all those years ago? I mean, Matt, you probably remember this and and. Uh, yeah, you know, when when you used to have one of those huge atlases in your car, the road atlas of the UK. I have the worst sense of direction in my entire <laughs> life. If my sat nav doesn't work, I'm screwed. That's why, oh. why I'm a rubbish coach driver. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why we love Waze. But obviously, it does rely, you know, on, on a lot of things. And if you yeah, lose data it, and signal, basically, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, no, thanks for that, Armando, as always. And uh, moving on to the next story in the military news this week. And uh, this one is uh, coming to us from Armando again. It's all about the E-6B Mercury aircraft. Now, continuing on with a little bit of uh, technology updates, the, this next story is from BreakingDefense.com. The U.S. Navy has accepted its first upgraded E-6B Mercury. Now, that aircraft is responsible for maintaining the lines of communication between the president and the nuclear submarine fleet during times of crisis. This is part of an ongoing $111 million contract with Northrop Grumman. The Naval Air Systems Command, which is the Navy's primary agency for procuring aircraft, said in a statement this week that the work was done throughout the past year and the plane was finally accepted uh, just this month. Now, this deal was dubbed the Integrated Maintenance and Modification Contract. It was awarded in February 2022 to upgrade the E-6B fleet, which, as you guys might know, is actually a, a derivative of the Boeing 707 um, at, the at the Northrop's facilities in Lake Charles, Louisiana. 
under this contract, this company is going to overhaul multiple E6B Mercury's um, by between now and 2027. Um, the total number of E6B's that will upgrade it, according to the Navy, is going to be 12. The plane itself is equipped with a unique with unique equipment that allows its operators to communicate with the Navy's submarine fleet, even while the boats are submerged. Um, that equipment could be used to deliver orders from the president in the event that submarines are called up to fire one of their nuclear weapons. Now, the E6B fleet is flown out of Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Uh, they're flown by the Navy Fleet Air Re uh, Reconnaissance Squadrons 3 and 4, which are part of Strategic Communications Wing 1, according to the U.S. Navy. Now, this is very important. Um, as you guys know, there's a nuclear triad, right? So um, the missiles, the bombers, and the submarines, and this is an important way to ensure continuity of operations should there be just a massive loss of uh, command and control capability. You have this air these aircraft that are able to essentially carry out um, autonomous orders, uh, or decentralized, we'll go with decentralized um, command and control. So very important update here. I mean, I guess one should always be prepared. That, that, that is what we learned from that. Can you can you believe it, right? The E6B Mercury, right? Nev was based is based on the 707-300, the the actual E6 mm. uh, platform. Yes, Armando said that. Wow. Yeah, and it's like the 707 is is. It's quite it's an not, old aircraft. I mean, it's, it's, it's so old. old it's so old that even Captain Jeff used to fly it. But, <laughs> but, I, but I tell you what, it's it's done blooming well yeah. with uh, Boeing. And you look at Boeing, obviously with the seven hundred seven. This is with the with, is you know the E six is based on. But you know Boeing have built some really good airliners that have been so well utilized by the by the air you know the the forces the you know the um, air forces, and they just seem to go on and on and on, such as this one. You know. And obviously, it's had a few upgrades with engines and stuff, but mm. um, no, fantastic to uh, to see these still uh, still in the air. I think. Indeed. Uh, next story is from Armando again, and uh, this one is all about uh, a, a little incident that happened uh, with an Osprey and some skydiving aircraft. So, Matt, roll the video. Now, it wouldn't be an Armando military segment if we didn't throw an Osprey story in there. This is from Military.com. This is three years after a civilian skydiving aircraft collided with an MV-22 Osprey sitting on a San Diego runway. The U.S. government is suing several businesses, including the airport, the city, the pilot, um, for other damages. And we did actually talk about the story on the show. I'm sure John is going to figure out what episode that was on, but it was three years ago. So the civil lawsuit uh, was filed by the U.S. government late, late last month in the U.S. District Court of Southern California. They're seeking upward of $5.7 million in damages for the Class A mishap. That's the term that the military uses for a serious incident or most expensive or even a deadly crash. Now, this occurred tw uh, May 30th of 2020, 2020 at Brownfield Municipal Airport in San Diego, California. Now, the lawsuit was filed on behalf of the Department of the Navy, and it names the civilian pilot, Christopher Sanders, TAC Air Ops LLC, which is a veteran-owned business that helps train the military, uh, Kaposin Air Sports Limited, which is a skydive company, and the city of San Diego, Brownfield Municipal Airport, and 25 other individuals who are unnamed in the lawsuit. Uh, between May 29th, 2020, and May 31st, 2020, the Marine Corps Marine Medium Tilt Rotor Squadron 163 
ordered two MV-22 aircraft to fly from uh, Miramar Air Station to Brown Field. It's about 30 miles away. Uh, they were conducting routine training flights, according to the lawsuit. Uh, on May 29th, 2020, uh, one of the Osprey aircraft on the call sign Evil I-11 uh, landed at the airport just before midnight and began heading to its usual parking spot, but had to relocate to another area. Now, according to the lawsuit, it says upon arrival at the routine parking location, the crew of the MV-22 discovered that the airport failed to maintain adequate parking at its routine parking location. Now, the crew was forced to locate to an alternate park, an alternate area to park the aircraft. They had to park the spot in a spot next to several other aircraft, including uh, de Havilland DHC-6 uh, Twin Otter aircraft. That aircraft was owned by the company Skydive San Diego, um, which is doing business as TAC Air Ops, according to the U.S. government. The next morning, on May 30th, uh, Sanders, who was the pilot of the Twin Otter, entered the plane, powered the right engine to 100%, left engine to 50%, and then the plane collided with the Osprey. After traveling more than 80 feet, turning 95 degrees to the left, the Twin Otter impacted the MV-22. The damage to the MV-22 included to, but was not limited to, the left prop rotor, the left engine nacelle, uh, the left, the nose wheel, the wing, and the right prop rotor blade of the MV-22. So pretty significant damage. Meanwhile, the city of San Diego and Brownfield Municipal Airport are being called out for the parking situation in the government's lawsuit also. Um, this, is an, this is an interesting one. I don't know that the government has uh, started or initiated lawsuits against uh, civilian entities or other government agencies very often. Um, but I think for for the U.S. Navy to determine that there was either liability or negligence on behalf of the airport and its operators and its tenants um, to take caution in not, um, you know, ensuring proper clearance. Now, I'll remind you guys, there is nothing really secret about the MV-22 or the CV-22. There are pretty open aircraft so it's not like you need to park this aircraft away from the public you don't need to park it you don't need a, a cordon off of it you don't need a security to be there at night um they're really pretty utilitarian aircraft so um it is perfectly okay to take an osprey even though it's big right it's 84 feet from tip to tip but like uh it's perfectly okay to to park it somewhere in the general public parking um which which both the navy and the air force know that the um, the problem here was what i think they're kind of assuming is is negligence on behalf of the tenant the the airport tenants and the airport uh, for not having adequate parking for their um, navy exercise I mean, uh, if you need somebody to talk about an Osprey with authority, of course, then Armando is definitely your man. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. Um, mm. but seri- I don't know if I want to park one. No. <laughs> you, you, you're talking, you know, this, this sort of story is obviously all about this, um, this you know, a collision between an Osprey and a skydiving mm. aircraft. And, you know, when you look in, in the UK where we are here, we've got obviously the flight school where just across from where me and you are, Matt, here. Um, it's all open areas, but we do have a lot of training aircraft going uh, through yeah. here. You know, with, through, yeah. you know, we've got Hercules, we've got A400Ms, we've got Apaches, we've got all the local training uh, school aircraft coming over from Watersham and stuff. There's a lot of aircraft that fly in and around the area. And, um, 
you know we've got we've got the you know the the parachute aircraft at Beckles as you know flies over here and over mm. us regularly and you've got all that activity in in the airspace so it is you know over in the US it's a bigger country they've got more airspace than us but as you can see this sadly obviously this this incident happens so mm. indeed but moving on to the next story uh, from the final story Armando. in fact the final story in the military this week from Armando. And uh, this week, uh, the last story is all about the U.S. Army's elite 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Well, if we're getting to this fourth military story, that means we had some extra time on the show. Um, I'm kind of continuing on with the helicopter theme. Uh, this is a story that just came out a couple weeks ago about the Army's uh, Night Stalkers, the, uh, the Black Hawks and the Little Birds and the 160th Soar. Uh, the Army's 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment is one of the best units in the world. Arguably, I think, in my opinion, is one of the they are some of the most talented aviators in this in the world. Absolutely, and I've had the pleasure of working with them in the past. Um, but they're expecting to replace more than 50% of its uh, MH60 Blackhawk and MH6 Little Bird fleet starting early 2030s. Now, special operations specific variants of this new Bell tilt rotor aircraft that the Army is acquiring and of the services still to be decided, advanced armed scout helicopter are set to um, replace significant numbers of these MH60s and MH6s respectively. At least some versions of the Little Bird could possibly be replaced in, with a advanced hybrid electric derivative. Um, and the Black Hawks are still expected to remain in service because it's very, you know, it's a proven aircraft um, due to its capabilities that they offer uh, the general U.S. Special Operations Forces. Uh, Jeff Downer, the head of U.S. Special Operations Command's uh, Program Executive Office or PEO for Rotary Wing Operations, provided details on the future of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiments or the SOAR. Uh, helicopter fleets for the war zone and the drive.com and some others at a briefing at the annual conference known as soft week uh, which takes place in tampa florida in addition to blackhawks and little birds the 160th known as the night stalkers also operates mh-47 chinook helicopters it's also worth noting that the night stalkers little birds can be configured for a light attack role um, where they are referred to as ah-6s or configured as light transports where they are designated as mh-6s now, the MH-60s are primarily transports, but can also be configured as more heavily armed uh, gunships known as Direct Action Penetrators, or DAPs. Now, in December 2022, we talked about it on the show, uh, Army picked a derivative of uh, Bell's V-280 Valor tilt rotor aircraft as the winner of its future long-range assault aircraft, or FLRAA, FLRA, I think we're calling it, I don't know, um, a protest against that contract was uh, was initiated by a member of the losing team from Sikorsky. That was actually rejected just a few weeks ago in April. Now the Flora aircraft will replace at least a significant portion of the Army's non-special operations Blackhawk fleet. The 160th expects to receive that Flora aircraft from the Army and they're currently doing studies to look at the modifications needed to make it uh, into a special operations configuration or a soft configuration. The FARA, F-A-R-A, uh, is going to be very important to SOCOM because it may be the replacement for the Little Bird. 
Uh, the little bird currently only flies 90 knots, so it gives them uh, this kind of little bit extra critical speed that they need. Now this, the 160th is transitioning away, at least in part, from MH60s and AH-MH6s. This is going to give the unit a significantly different look. Um, as Downer said in this in this statement with regard to the Little Bird replacement plan specifically, this will give the Army Special Operations Aviators a significant boost in speed. The V280 Flara will offer a major increase in range as well com as compared to the Blackhawk. Um, and as the Warzone has noted in the past, the range and speed are set to be critical factors for U.S. military aviation elements. Uh, broadly in a future major conflict because being able to cross long distances quickly could be especially important in a conflict, uh, let's say in the Pacific region. Um, you know, that theater as well as Africa is, is especially challenging for traditional rotary wing assets that lack the range and fly at a comparatively low speed. Um, if you didn't get anything from Oh, the last four minutes that I've been talking, um, go to YouTube and uh, do a search for the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, and you'll see some amazing aviators. There's some great public videos, especially with their little birds. Those guys are 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 so good at what they do, and they are just so critical for. Um, the special operations roles that we use them in um, as the U.S. government. Um, so go check that out on YouTube and um, let's see how they end up modifying <laughs> the V-280 tilt rotor aircraft. I think it's going to be a pretty cool looking aircraft, whatever it looks like in the end. I mean, it's going to be a pretty cool looking aircraft, but I haven't got a chuffing clue, frankly. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, they're, they're on it's about not... replacing, they're on about replacing um, these MH60s, obviously replacing them, the Blackhawks with some new, um, obviously new, new helicopters. Mm. And can I just say, if anyone's listening from the US Army's Elite 160 oh, we go. Special Operations Force, <laughs> send me one of those old Blackhawks over here, because I, I can honestly say that, that that would make an amazing shed at the bottom of the garden, and one that would never rot. Well... <laughs> Anything not right, not like a wooden. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can you can build it up however you like, Carlos. You've still got to get it past the wife. That's the, that's the issue. Have you not? <laughs> have you not seen that that guy down oh, south? Who got, uh, he, yeah. got a, he got a Sea King, yeah, uh, air sea rescue helicopter, a Sea King air sea rescue helicopter. Obviously, he took the blades off because they were too yeah, big. Right. Okay. But he kept yeah. the main body, the main yeah, uh, yeah. helicopter fuselage. Yeah, he, yeah. He's turned it into a. He's turned it into an Airbnb. Wonderful. He's yep. making a fortune. I'm, I'm sure he is. Absolutely. Is he? Is he married? <laughs> he is married. Actually. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> His wife tolerates it. Right. Uh, okay. Well, probably as, because of the spending would money. Yeah. yeah. Would she? Well, I suppose if there was money involved, I suppose she might be quite interested. Yeah, bless her. Yeah. Oh, yeah so if you're watching, send one over. Right. Um, okay. Good luck with that. As long as it's paid, uh, paid the the crane is paid for. That's fine. Yeah. Excellent. Anyway, moving on. But thanks for that, uh, Armando, for sending us the uh, military news for this week, and uh, thanks for putting all the video uh, videos together for us. Very good. You've made Nev's day. Anyway. So, as uh, as we have mentioned the word Nev, Nev, you have got uh, the next part of the show because it is all about our big book giveaway. Yes, 
I, this is my second favourite part of the show, actually, apart from the uh, caption this, uh, because I like seeing people win. <laughs> uh, and uh, no, this is great. So uh, we are giving away uh, the Halton Boys book um, by uh, Sean Feast. The question from last week was, RAF Halton is the nearest military station to where I live here in Buckinghamshire. What year was the airbase established? The answer is 1913. I didn't even know that, so I had to look that up myself. However, we do have a lot of correct answers, and I have the, uh, the PTUK bag here, and I shall, we've got all the right answers in here, and I shall draw out uh the uh the winner let's have a look oh look at this i don't even know his uh he's one of these people just got one name like lulu but his name is sturman ah yes i <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it how about that oh bless him he'll be so chuffed carlos have you got sturman's address in your oh, yeah. Yeah, database somewhere yeah if you could right, whatsapp that, that to, to me and I shall uh, send this off to you tomorrow from the Aylesbury Post Office, Sturman, first class, and you'll get it on Monday. Lovely. Um, so that will be great. Uh, now, uh, for this week's competition, we have a very special prize. I actually went out and bought this book. Uh, it is Concord. Oh, hello. Which is uh, the awe-inspiring true story of the world's greatest uh, airplane from inside the cockpit uh, by Mike Bannister, Chief Concorde pilot. Called Mike. Mike's been involved with the aircraft for many, many years. I'm going to have to get a bigger packet to send it in because it's uh, 450 oh my. pages. It's a huge uh, and hardback, no less. And it's hard, I, yeah. I thought I would get the hardback version as well. Bit of quality so, there. It looks uh, like a great book. Yeah, it is. Now. Uh, lots of questions about Concorde, of course, lots of stats and what have you, but I thought I'd ask a slightly more tricky or maybe an unusual question this week. Um, now, obviously, many people know that the aircraft could carry up to 100 passengers, but what was the maximum weight of cargo that she could carry? Oh, that's an What was the maximum one. weight of cargo that the aircraft could carry? Um, we'll accept your answer in kilograms or tons. Oh, will we now? Right. right. Tons. <laughs> None of the imperial business, if you don't no. mind. Okay, right. Um, and uh, so the prize is uh, the copy of Concorde by Chief Concorde pilot Mike Bannister. Uh, it's a great read. I've actually down downloaded the uh, audiobook version of it, and it's a just a brilliant way he tells it um, but also there's some lovely illustrations in the book as well so uh, we should be sending it out next week uh, as a prize so if you would like to uh, send your entries into podcast at plaintalkinguk.com don't put it in the chat room because it won't count podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we'll draw out a winner from next week's um, selection so thank you very much indeed for participating and good luck so, interestingly enough, Mark Priestley is saying, uh, not a lot, methinks, is his answer to the, <laughs> is the answer to that. Uh, John Falk's saying he, it's got great reviews, the book, by the way. So uh, Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah. and as I say, I've, I'm about three quarters of the way through the audio uh, version of it. And Mike does a tremendous story of, of telling the tales. tales. And I actually I learnt a lot. I thought I knew quite a lot about the aircraft, having sort mm. of followed it for so many years. But there's a, quite a few tidbits of information that I didn't know about it, actually. So uh, uh, that was that was quite fascinating. But yes, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com with your answers, please. So... 
thanks for that, Nev, and well done to Sturman for uh, for winning the book. I'm sure he's actually just messaged me on 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 WhatsApp. He's rather excited. It's not I'm not going to oh, lie. Um, so yeah, well done to that, and uh, look forward to seeing who uh, or who wins next week's uh, book. And I shall hopefully, if I remember, I'll shall get those details put on our social media page as well uh, for those of you who follow us on Facebook, so you can see the question and uh, the book as well. So Nev, if you can ping those over to me at some point, mm. I'll, get I'll get those on the old book of face. Right, next up, it's that time of the week. It's Caption This Just For Fun. It's safe to say this week's picture did get some attention on the old Facebook. And um, I think, I think Matt, could you explain to me in your best okay. uh, idea of what this picture for our audio listeners Indeed. Okay. is all about? So for those of you who are, I'm not quite sure of the location, I have to be honest, but it is an airport somewhere. Uh, I'm assuming somewhere in the States because all I can see is the tail fins of multiple Delta aircraft uh, that are um, having a, an extended wash shall we say they are uh, in fact some of them are almost complete there's one or two that are almost completely submerged and you can see all the um what are the air bridges and all that kind of thing sort of like sort of underwater um but yeah basically what we've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten ten delta aircraft that are all underwater presumably as a result of some significant flooding so uh, uh if you guys want to take uh, what we've had in already and uh, if you You've got any suggestions for the pictures the picture that we've got in the chat room here i'll deal with that once we we've got through so uh, uh carlos and nev if you want to take care of that so nick kicks us off with out you get kids i told you not to swim straight after a meal <laughs> uh jenny says young jets are having a swimming lesson today <laughs> i like that well done uh Matt, do you want to take the next one, or do you want me to... Um... No? Nicholas says Delta's new float plane experiment didn't proceed as planned. Uh, Carlos, can you do the next one? Oh, I'll, I'll do this one I, I think then. you'll do a better I, job of it than I. This one is, uh, Tim says, Baby shark, do 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 Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't attempt that. No, me too. Me too. <laughs> Uh, Dari says, pilot's first officer, hang up the sign gone uh, for gone fishing. I'd love to see that hanging from yeah. a window of an aircraft, actually, yeah. Uh, Bill says, meanwhile, back at the airport, things are going swimmingly. <laughs> uh, Dirk says, in an effort to improve services for their airline customers, US airports have introduced the Grobwen Kawako system, which is ground-based brake, engine and cabin water cooling system for faster cooling and hence turnaround times. As you know, in aviation, they love an acronym, don't they? So, uh, Christopher has come up with an old classic here, an old 80s, oh, 70s or 80s classic, I think, when the first one was released. There we go. Oh, we'll leave dear. that one there. <laughs> I'm glad you did that one as well. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Ian says, so this is what the sharklets look like. <laughs> That's one of my favourite ones. I actually. like that one. That one's yeah. good. Uh, yeah. Paul, Paul is uh, obviously a big fan of a uh, very good friend of the show, uh, Captain Al, because he says, 
Someone banned Captain Al from using the first-class lounge's toilets. He's only gone and blocked them again. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, John says, passengers are in floods of tears for Captain Jeff's final flight with that Oh, oh no, that, that is going to be quite brutal. That, that's going to be quite oh, brutal, that one. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Dear. Totally, yeah. Brilliant. What we got uh, from the chat room then, Matt? Indeed, yes, just bear with me. I'm just queuing them all up. So uh, thank you for all. Loads of them have come in, I'm pleased to say. We'll start with John. He has uh, said sharks. Oh, what sharks? Uh, the <laughs> uh, Uncle Micah has just joined us as well, by the way. He's saying hello, boys and girls, from Route 95 in Alexandria, Virginia. Love Delta's new submarine service uh, is what it's suggesting. Richard is saying in the chat room here, my geography teacher lied. He said that River Delta's... that <laughs> He said that River Delta's were by the sea. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that tickles me quite so much. Uh, not sure how I feel about this. What is it? Captain Sully's new fan club arrives. Uh, that's... Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Bad taste. That's terrible. <laughs> very funny as well. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Richard is saying a new US, new US Special Forces unit raised after a merger of Delta Force and SEALs. Uh, John's got another offer. He said, who pulled out the bath plug? And then finally, Mark Priestley is saying, uh, not as good as the pilot who landed on the Hudson, of course, but uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, dear. On good form, as always. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know how you would solve that one. I mean, it's not just as simple as drying them out, is it? I mean, there'll be a lot of ruined electrics, I think, as a result of that. But yeah. there we go. Never mind. All part of the fun, as they oh, no. say. Yeah. <laughs> so don't forget, if you want to be part of the, uh, of the captionist just for fun, crew team even uh, get yourselves over to our social media on facebook and uh, give us a like while you're there as well and every wednesday roughly uh, we post a picture on there for you to comment on and leave your wittiest and funniest comments on so uh, yeah keep your eyes open on our social medias and talking about social medias nev for those who may not have uh, searched for us on there or purchased one of our glorious t-shirts and mugs where can people find us yes of course on the socials it's facebook twitter and instagram just so uh, search those for plain talking uk uh, our whatsapp number is plus 44 757 2249166 that's plus 44 7572249166 uh, you can email the show as we mentioned earlier podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is all the w's plaintalkinguk.com you can subscribe to our youtube channel as well just go to youtube.com and search for plain talking uk and there's also our amazon link uh, where you can uh, by clicking on that link you can do your shopping via amazon through our website and we get paid a small referral fee for doing that uh, you can also become a patron of the show uh, go to uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com and it tells you all about it uh, on there and we're very grateful to all of our patron patreon and paypal uh, contributors as well so obviously yeah uh, before we wrap up we have got a big day coming up on sunday me and nev and uh, the newest member of our team, Nick Codling, we're all going off to the Cosford, the Royal Air Force Cosford Air Show uh, this year. We're going to be there Sunday. We're going to get there nice and early in the morning Sunday. And uh, we are going to be doing some interviews, some filming, some 
pictures and all kinds of stuff there. Uh, so if uh, you are going to be in the area or going to the uh, air show on Sunday, because I know it has sold out, it has very much sold out this week, the air show. So you can't buy your tickets on the gate. They have to be pre-purchased. So if you've not got your ticket already, unfortunately, you might well miss out. But um, we were going we to be there. Uh, so if you uh, fancy coming and see us, give us a look. We'll be wearing our, our normal PTUK uh, stuff, won't we, Nev? Yes. Let's hope I can still fit into it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, actually, uh, Carl very generously bought me a, a extra size uh, this year <laughs> due to operational uh, difficulties. Difficulties, yes, absolutely. Challenges, yeah. yes, absolutely, yeah. And uh, obviously, you'll get a chance as well to uh, to meet to meet Nick, obviously the newest member of mm. our production team, who's uh, been uh, working uh, uh, this week as well, doing putting some bits and pieces together for us for the show. So he's been uh, helping out, doing what uh, doing what he does well, and also not forgetting as well John as well. He has uh, also been he's been he's been a busy old beaver, hasn't he, old John, with work? He's been flying, oh yes, flying and flying and flying, and more. And more, and more so. So that is where we are going to bring episode number 459 to a close. <laughs> uh, don't forget to join us next Friday. There you for, go, Carlos. Uh, Look, there you go. Just to remind you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> for the. I oh, know I'm on my second beer. Oh, that'll be what it is, yeah. Uh, and that's after cider. Um, yeah, don't forget to join us next Friday for the show. We'll be back here on YouTube again at 7 p.m. in the evening. And uh, so that's it. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. And if you're at Cosford at the air show, come and say hello to me, Nev, and Nick. From me, Carlos here in the home studio. From Matt in the Master Suite studio, the PTUK Master Suite studio. And from Nev in his glorious studio over there in Buckinghamshire. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next Friday. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.